You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. We turn this morning to Paul's second letter to Timothy chapter 4. To Timothy chapter 4, the first five verses of this scripture reading are the text for this morning's sermon. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, in your hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas... Because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he has strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Read Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left drove him as sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubolus greets you and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, tomorrow is, as most of you know, Thanksgiving Day in Canada. It's that annual time of year when we thank the Lord for the crops that could be harvested, for the food on our tables and in our cupboards, for the shelter and warmth that we enjoy for the health that he grants us, for the freedoms that we possess, and for so many other other gifts as well. 
Once again, in spite of rather gloomy economic predictions and in spite of the fact that illness and troubles have visited some of our homes, there is still reason for thanksgiving. The Lord keeps on looking after us. We continue to be fickle, but he continues to be faithful as well as bountiful in his gifts. Yes, and that should be apparent not just tomorrow, but also here today in somewhat of a different way. For today, we have still another blessing to add to our overflowing list, for we can give thanks to God for the gift of a new pastor and teacher for this congregation. Our time of vacancy has been short. Candidate de Young could be called. He was led to accept the call. His examination went well. And now we together may witness his ordination. For us, you can say Thanksgiving starts not tomorrow, but it starts already today. And we are, I gather, not alone in all of this, for I suspect that the Apostle Paul would very much agree. For if anyone knows what a precious gift a pastor is to a congregation, it is the Apostle. And to see that, we need only to read what he writes in his two letters to Timothy. They're full of the gifts of ministers and the work of ministry. And if you ask in what way, well, let's turn to that passage we have read together, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. And looking at that passage, I'd like to preach to you on the following theme, Paul's last instruction, preach the word. We'll look first of all the charge that Timothy receives, secondly the challenge that Timothy faces, and finally the company that Timothy keeps. Well, beloved, as far as we know, these words written here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 are among the last words that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Tradition has it that shortly hereafter, he was martyred on the orders of the Emperor Nero. Did the Apostle Paul have an inkling of this already? Did he sense in one way or another that his end was near? Well, perhaps because he goes on and he writes, the time of my departure has come. He also speaks about having fought the good fight. And he refers to anticipating the crown of righteousness. You might say the Apostle Paul is ready to die. And perhaps that also explains why he uses such strong, strong language in our text. His final words to Timothy here in these five verses are filled with imperatives. There are actually nine of them. Nine commands, nine orders, if you will. Nine Injunctions. Yes, and of all of them, the most fundamental and the most important is the first one. And it's the charge to preach the word. More than anything else, this is what's supposed to have Timothy's attention. And it's also supposed to have the attention of all who follow him. 
Preaching is, after all, the first work of a minister of the gospel. Now you might ask, why is that so, and why is that so important? What's the big deal about a man of whom they used to say that he stands six feet above contradiction and back talk? Well, the big deal is not the man, but it is what he brings. He brings the word. And what kind of a word does he bring? Well, it's a very special word because it's the word that God has given to him. Elsewhere, you'll find Paul to Timothy calls it the deposit, the truth, the revelation, the gospel. And you might say it has to do with everything that God has said as well as done in the Old Testament, all that he has said already and done in the New Testament, especially in and through his son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And your Timothy is reminded that his first and primary duty is to handle the word of God. But then not just to handle it, also to preach it. Literally, the Greek word for preaching means to herald. It calls to mind the messengers that a king would send out throughout his realm to all of its nooks and crannies. And then these men would have to give the orders, the laws of the kings and town squares and street corners and before lesser officials. And they'd have to do that very faithfully, very accurately. Because you see, the penalty for being a poor herald, for not transmitting the commands of the king faithfully and accurately, was often death. So you see here, the Apostle Paul is ordering Timothy to be a good messenger, a faithful ambassador, a reliable spokesman. That's his primary calling. But not just for him, not just for Timothy. It's the same for every herald, minister, and pastor of the gospel. And also for candidate Young, who is entering into an office in the church that first and foremost has, has everything to do with handling the word of truth aright. Brother, it'll be your first task to preach day in and day out. You're about to become a herald, a herald of God's great, glorious news in Jesus Christ. And that's not an easy task. And as a result, you notice Paul adds some more imperatives The expression, be prepared in season and out of season, comes from the Greek imperative to take your stand, to stay at your post. It's a military term, and it means that the Christian minister is always on duty. He's not a part-time herald. He's not an occasional messenger. He doesn't just preach when he feels like it or when it's convenient or when he's in the mood for it. Now, this is a constant charge, in season, out of season, doesn't matter the weather or whatever. This is what you're called to do. 
Yes, and it's also something else. It's not only a constant charge, but it's also, you can see here, a rather comprehensive charge. Because there's more imperatives, all very closely connected one to the other. The first is correct, meaning to bring a person to the point of the confession of their sin and unworthiness. You know, it has to do with causing people to see that they're in need of the grace of Almighty God. And the second is to rebuke, which means to to sometimes confront and, and censure someone, a rather unpleasant kind of business, but still so necessary. And the third has to do with encouraging, which means to exhort them to, to lift people up and to point their life in the right direction. So taken together, what is this saying? Well, it's saying that preaching is serious stuff. It's not about entertaining people. It's not about telling stories. It's not about making people feel good about themselves. No, this preaching also has a confrontational side to it. At times it hurts. At times it's spread unease. At times it upsets. But understand well, the overall purpose is always good. For it's meant to remind people about God. His greatness, His holiness, His righteousness and goodness. It's meant to remind people about their sins and their shortcomings. It's meant to bring them into a right relationship with God and with one another. You see, its aim is so overwhelmingly positive. But alas, people don't always realize this. And hence, Paul reminds Timothy about two qualities that also go along with his constant and comprehensive preaching. And the first quality is great patience or patient endurance. You can translate it in different ways. If Timothy or the other preachers of the gospel think that You can change people just like that. If they think that the gospel is a kind of a a magic wand that you hit people with and it instantly transforms them, and there are times when I'd love it if it were so. But it's not so. So if you think this, you're in for a bitter disappointment. Change usually only happens over time. It requires a boatload of patience. And so, candidate de Jong, if you see yourself as a young preacher in a hurry, who's going to fix all kinds of problems in a jiffy, then I dare say you're setting yourself up for a lot of anger and frustration. You may be preaching the gospel, but even the gospel needs time to penetrate. You may be an instrument of the Holy Spirit, but also the Holy Spirit takes his time to work sanctification in the life of God's people. To say it very plainly, 
in the church of Jesus Christ, turtles do better than rabbits, if you get what I mean. But also something else, a second quality. Paul adds careful instruction to the mix. Timothy and all who are like him need to be teachers, careful, clear, logical, systematic teachers. In other words, it's not just about words and more words, fine-sounding words, cute words, eloquent words. No, it's about words that define clearly, that, that describe carefully, that, that speak simply, that build gradually, that convince overwhelmingly. And so you can see, if you look at all of this, it's quite the charge that Paul gives to Timothy. And it's quite the charge that also our brother de Jong receives today. This ministry that he's entering has all kinds of facets to it. Not just preaching the gospel, but administering the sacraments as he hopes to do to one of them this afternoon. Teaching church doctrine, visiting the sick, counseling the broken, admonishing the wayward, chairing meetings, writing reports, and the list goes on and on. But you must never forget that the first and the foremost thing is the charge to preach the word. Do it diligently. Do it constantly. Do it fully. Do it patiently. Do it carefully. And with God's help, you'll do it well. And so, beloved, you can say the the charge is huge. And the challenge that comes along with it is no less so. If you look at the verses 3 to 5, there Paul warns Timothy already about some of the obstacles that he's going to face. And the first obstacle is, and that's kind of interesting, that his hearers do not have a natural affinity or attraction to sound doctrine or sound teaching. You know, even a A casual reading of Paul's letters kind of reveals this already. So often his readers are much more attracted to crooked doctrine or outlandish doctrine or distorted doctrine than they are to true doctrine. In Corinth, they'd rather divide the church and make it a matter of follow the favorite leader. In Colossae, they're still in love with their Jewish Sabbaths and feast days. In Rome, they fight about eating everything or only eating vegetables. And in Thessalonica, they don't know whether they should be working or waiting. And in Galatia, they can't really tell the difference, it seems, between faith and works. So already there is this attraction to false doctrine. And Paul warns it's only going to get worse. He says, for the time will come when men will not put up. They won't tolerate sound doctrine. Paul's predicting things are going to get a lot tougher. Indeed, they did. They did for Timothy. But they did not only for him, they, they do also today. I dare say that in a, in a certain sense, surely in North America, and especially in Europe too, 
These are tough times in which to pastor. Sound doctrine is not exactly in. And as a matter of fact, very few people care about doctrine and even less care about whether or not it's sound. And these post-modern days, doctrine is out. Spirituality is in. Everybody talks about spirituality. But what is it? You see, what you think is not important, what you believe is not important, what you confess is not important. What matters is how you feel and what you experience. And little do people realize that right doctrine is foundational and fundamental for right living. And that's not all. For Paul warns Timothy as well that while sound doctrine is out, itching ears are are in. Men, he writes in verses 3 and 4, will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You know, the idea here is that people will go after the spicy stuff, the attractive stuff, the outlandish stuff. Paul saw it coming in his day. He saw it in places like Ephesus and and Athens. And we see it as well in our day. Think of that recent huge spiritual convention led in Vancouver by none other than the Dalai Lama. Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, some Western existentialism, a pound of Hinduism, a pinch of Shintoism, add water, stir, and you have your latest religious stew. And as for doctrine, much less sound doctrine, don't even mention the word of words. It's all a colossal waste of time. There is no longer any one truth because people say everything is true. But you know, when everything is true, nothing is true. And everything is false. And so little wonder then that in the midst of this kind of confusion, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to to keep his head on straight. Just be sober. Just stick to the gospel. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked. Also endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, Timothy is urged not to be flashy, but to be faithful. And not to be swaying in the wind but to be steadfast and not led astray. Now you'll notice in connection with that that the Apostle Paul also speaks about the work of an evangelist. And that that word evangelist has been the subject of a lot of discussion both today as well as in the past. And most of the discussion arises because nowhere does Paul or Peter or anyone else really define carefully what is now the office of an evangelist. 
Probably the most we can say is not the same as the work of an apostle, and neither is it the same as the work of a regular pastor. Most likely, Timothy is going to be a bit of a traveling minister or pastor. He's going to go, much like Paul did, from place to place to place, strengthening, helping, assisting the believers. His ministry is going to be a roving ministry. But yours, brother, is not. Today, your ministry begins in this place, among these people, in this congregation, begins here in Langley. Your calling's here. Your work will be here. It'll be more regular. But at the same time, I dare say it'll be no less difficult and challenging at times. And therefore, you too will need to keep your head, so to speak, remain sane, if you will. You too should be prepared to endure hardship. Not everybody's going to like you or speak well of you. You too are going to have to discharge all the duties of your ministry. And all the duties means the ones you like and gravitate towards and even the ones you don't like. And of course you may wonder, how in the world am I going to do all of this? How am I going to live up to all of these expectations? How am I going to fulfill this charge to preach the word and to meet all the challenges of ministry? Well, the answer to those questions lies in the opening words of our text. Notice, in case you forgot, how the Apostle Paul begins this final charge to Timothy. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. What is Paul saying with those words? Well, he's saying that the work of ministry is not a work that is being done in isolation nor in loneliness. You're not in it all by your lonesome or yourself. But rather, he's acutely aware of the fact that both God the Father and God the Son are with him. Even more than that, he's aware of the fact that he's doing his work in their very presence. And added to that fact is also the fact that the presence of God the Father and God the Son is a thing of great comfort as well as encouragement. For what is the Son of God going to do? He's going to judge the living and the dead. Christ Jesus is none other than the judge of all men and all women. Nobody's going to be exempt from his judgeship. All people everywhere, from every time, will give account for what they have done or not done, how they have lived or not lived, how they have believed or not believed. And then he will set everything and everyone straight. And moreover, Christ Jesus is not just the judge of all men, but notice he's the returning judge. Paul speaks about his appearing and about his kingdom. If you take it all together, what Paul is saying is that really the future is full of Christ. 
And when he comes back, he's going to establish his kingdom for good. And he'll do it powerfully and perfectly. It'll be an eternal, universal, most inspiring kingdom. Christ will bring it. And once he has done so, he's going to return it all back to God the Father. Well, now with the presence of such great persons and personalities, and in the light of such an impending future, Timothy has all the encouragement that he needs. It's not just me, Timothy, with his huge mammoth task. No, there's the Father and the Son and the future. It's all there. And the same goes for you, brother. You may do your pastoral work in the living presence of the Almighty God, and you may do it in the optimism and the expectation that your master is returning, his kingdom is just around the corner. And may that give you all the courage, conviction that you need to fulfill the duties of your ministry here in Langley. And congregation, may that be sufficient for you to receive this man together with his family, to carry him and them in your prayers, to heed his preaching, and to be blessed by his ministry. For we all are living in the presence of the same God and Father and the same Son. We're all sharing in the same future, a future full of Christ the Judge and a future full of his appearing and his kingdom. May he bless you, Brother de Jong, and may he bless all of us together with you. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.